Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. That's dangerous and very irresponsible. In a city overrun with car thefts, this one stands out. They just allowed someone to get it so easily. What surveillance video captured a valet doing that left one auto theft victim stunned. And when they took that number from me, it was everything. A cell phone hack days after one woman logs in to airport internet. My biggest fear is, can it happen again tomorrow? The risks of public Wi-Fi and how to protect your device from being hacked. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm joined by Contact 6's Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Hello, Brian. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, June 15th for release on Thursday, June 16th. Jenna, we've talked a lot about auto thefts on this podcast. It's been a real big problem in Milwaukee, especially involving Kias and Hyundais, cars stolen right off the street. This case of a stolen car is a little bit different. What happened? It is a lot different. So what happened is back in February, uh, a woman named Sarah Fonase checked into the Hyatt Regency. She was going to an anime convention. It was also her birthday weekend. And she left her car with the valet. Uh, Two nights in, she asked the valet to bring her car around. They were going to have a birthday dinner, and they couldn't find her car key, and then they couldn't find her car in the structure. So they said, we're sorry, it appears your car has been stolen. So police responded, and they told her that surveillance video showed the thief taking the keys from the valet station. So this isn't an example where someone broke the window and got into a car and stole it that way. They had the keys. 16 days later, her car was located by police. It was totaled. It was a 2020 Honda Accord, so not a Kia, not a Hyundai. And sadly, it was the first car that Sarah ever bought for herself, and she'd had it just one month. And that's a pretty new car, a 2020. That's a, it's a nice vehicle. I, what strikes me, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see the video. This was a story where the video really makes the story. Um, so if you have a chance, go to fox6now.com, go to the Context 6 page, and watch this story on the alleged car thief stealing keys uh, from uh, the valet and and what happens here. But you see the the person approach the valet and then you see them left alone with this just rack of car keys. And as someone who rarely but occasionally has used a valet, there's just that moment your heart sinks. Like, what if that was, those were my keys hanging there? And you're just watching the person peruse like they're shopping for a car. Right. When Sarah watched it for the first time, when she watched the surveillance video, um, she said it was like watching a kid in a candy store. You know, this guy rifling through all the keys. So what happened is there are actually two surveillance videos of this theft. The first one is of the valet station in the lobby. It was late on a Saturday afternoon. A man in a dark jacket with his hood up. It was 
Winter, approached the valet stand. He can be seen chatting with the valet for a while. When I asked Third Coast Parking what they were talking about, um, I was told the man presented himself as a guest who no longer had his ticket. And then you see the valet bend down, open the key cabinet, and then he allows the man to sift through the keys himself for about three minutes. Now, most of the time, the valet is standing over this man's shoulder, but at one point, the valet takes a call or, or calls someone. He's on his phone, and he steps away um, from the key cabinet for 18 seconds. His back is to the man going through the key cabinet, and he even steps outside the door, and you can see the man on camera pocketing sets of keys. Um, so Sarah was understandably frustrated when she saw that video. She said she couldn't believe how easily this person was able to get her keys from the valet stand and that this person was allowed to go through that cabinet on their own and alone at one point. And then there is a second video. It's of Isaac's parking structure. This is where Third Coast rents spaces for its valet. It's a longer video, but it appears to show a man driving the Honda up to a boom style gate and the man steps out, he starts to raise the boom, and then it looks like he gets spooked and he rushes toward a car that's waiting nearby. The car starts to drive away and it appears a security guard approaches the vehicle, the man steps out, they speak for a while, and then the man gets back into the Honda and he backs it up out of the frame. Um, we don't see it for a while, the waiting vehicle leaves, it comes back, and then when the waiting car returns, uh, a man exits and lifts the boom, which activates and rises. The gate is open and you see the Honda reappear um, back in the frame and it is driven out of the structure. And that's the last time it was seen until it was found 16 days later. What do you make of all of what was going on there with the boom being lifted and the pausing and the backing up? What, what's happening? Well, it's amazing to see how many people were involved and how well thought out it was because there was clearly some sort of communication between that waiting vehicle and the person who was taking the Honda. Um, and there were multiple people involved. They were able to coordinate together. There was a security guard who approached them. I don't know what they discussed in that time period. Maybe the gentleman was able to convince him that it was his car as well. And that's why he was allowed back in. I don't know for sure, but it was very coordinated. And it was interesting seeing it play out from start to finish the first attempt that didn't work. Um, they tried to leave, but th then they got another chance at it. Um, but it, it shows how many, how many people were involved in this one theft um, and how coordinated it was. Well, that raises the question for me, and we're going to get into some of the effects of this and what the company had to say, but it raises the question, was the valet in on this? Was this all part of the plan? I did not get any indication of that. From police, I asked the owner of the valet company about that. Um, he told me the valet working that day was questioned by police, and he told me this employee is a good kid and a good employee who unfortunately got distracted by other aspects of his job while trying to help a man he thought was a guest. So the owner of the valet company was adamant that this guy was not in on it. I mean, you can imagine, we can all sort of relate, I think, to, you know, you go to a coat check at a party or something and you you lose your ticket and all of a sudden you have that panic of, oh my gosh, I don't have my, I don't have my ticket. And I think even with a coat, you would imagine they would say, can you describe the coat for me? What does it look like? 
Um, but that's and that's a coat here. It wasn't even like, can you describe your keys? What do they look like? What kind of car is it? What's the license plate? It was just here. Pick some keys. I think that's what really stood out to me from the video. I think that is what would be upsetting to most consumers. I mean, a car is a major expense. It's personal to people. You have personal items in it. I would be quite upset if my my van was stolen. I live a lot of my life in that thing and I have an attachment to it. So it feels personal, but also Sarah lost her transportation. She'd only had that car a month and she did get money from insurance um, that paid off the remainder of her loan, but she doesn't have money saved up for another down payment for another vehicle. So this has been a huge inconvenience for her. What did the company say overall? I know you said they, they felt the valet was just a, a good kid who made a mistake here, but, but but what else did they say? So the owner of Third Coast Parking told me this is an isolated incident. Uh, he said uh, they do not allow uh, guests to access the key box. I had said, did you change your policies and how you handle missing tickets? And he said, no, it was always the policy. Guests are not allowed to access the key box. He said it was a human error. He wished it hadn't happened. He wished it had been handled differently. And he said, sadly, the reality is there are car break-ins every day downtown, including from parking structures. And this is just a reflection of that much bigger problem that they're facing in his business. What stands out to me though is it's, it's one thing to say, well, car thefts are just a problem. And if someone breaks into your car and it's on the street, there's no middleman there who gave them access. It's just, they broke into your car and now you've got to deal with insurance uh, or the police or whatever it might be. Here there clearly was an employee of the valet service and, and, and the hotel that they represented or worked for who was involved in this and who, who just granted this sort of unfettered access. Do they have any responsibility for paying Sarah any anything for her loss? That is one thing we looked into in our report. Sarah feels strongly that she is entitled to something from the valet service for their actions in this case. And I consulted with a consumer attorney for our report and he said, well, it is possible to win a case like this. The question is, when you have a modest amount of money at stake, is it worth it? And the answer is usually no. So if you look at the back of Sarah's valet ticket, there's actually a contract on the back of it with some very broad language waiving certain liabilities. It basically says, we are not responsible for any loss or damage as a result of theft or even gross negligence. It's called an exculpatory contract, which are two words you did not hear in my story because <laughs> I don't have the time to go into all that. But it basically says you can't sue me in the future. It's a lot of lawyer talk. And Nathan says it's not an easily litigated area of law. And he says an attorney could argue this contract is too broad. This business can't enforce this one size fits all contract to everybody. And there are several examples of appeals um, on which exculpatory contracts were overturned, but it is expensive. Maybe if Sarah hadn't gotten that money from insurance, if she hadn't gotten the market value of her car, it may be worth pursuing a case. But when we're talking about a couple thousand dollars, he says that is what insurance is there for. It covers theft and insurance is the best route to go. I'm almost surprised the insurance company wouldn't go after the valet service of the hotel because oftentimes you'll see insurance companies will pay out something on a claim, but then they will go and try to collect from who they think was in fact responsible. But are you aware if they tried to make any attempt here to recover their losses? I am not. I think 
they cover theft. And I think it can get complicated if you go into the details of that theft, but I'm just spitballing here. I really don't know for sure, but insurance does cover theft. And our consumer attorney felt this is a, a great example of when insurance should kick in. I, it really, in the end, it stands out to me as a, sort of a warning to just be aware that when you use valet services, these things are at risk and, and you know, it, well, one, you hope you have good insurance and, and that it'll take care of it. Um, but but be aware of things like, uh, what was it, exculpatory? Exculpatory an, contract. An exculpatory yeah. contract. You never would think about, you know, how often do we read the fine print on those things? But it could really put you at risk. So obviously be aware. And, and I guess maybe, uh, I don't know, I, what, what could you do here? I mean, that, I guess that's, what's the takeaway? Mm-hmm. What do you do to protect yourself? Well, I mean, it's an issue of trust. And you have to understand that when you hand over your keys and you're given that ticket with that little contract on the back, it's a contractual relationship. And you're basically entrusting that person with your vehicle. But at the end of the day, when it comes to who is responsible for the consequences financially if something is to happen, it's really no different than if your car was parked on the street. Or just park yourself and take your keys with you. Right. I mean, the level of risk is unfortunately still there, even if it's in a parking structure with security guards and security cameras. Speaking of trust and risk, uh, your next story that we're going to talk about involves something that so many of us have probably put ourselves at risk of without really thinking a whole lot about it. Wherever we go, the airport or ball game or whatever it might be in a hotel, and and we always want to be connected to the internet because everything comes through those little phones in our hand. So, uh, but but there are risks when you hook up to public Wi-Fi. Tell us what happened to uh, a consumer that you uh, you recently profiled. Yeah, we were contacted by Gina Meller. She is a small business owner, and in early May, she took a trip to Boston, and her phone was hacked. She woke up one morning, and her phone didn't work anymore. She couldn't make phone calls. She couldn't access the internet. She she called Spectrum asking why, and they told her that her cell phone had been ported to another carrier. And I'll explain what porting is in a little bit. But basically, she lost control over her device entirely. Money was stolen from her personal bank accounts. Credit cards were opened in her name. Payments to her business were actually rerouted into a scammer's account. She lost a significant amount of money personally and for her business. And it was an incredibly stressful process and complicated process trying to get her life back and trying to reclaim this device and all of the password protections that were on it. She said this device was really her lifeline. She kept everything on there. And when she lost control of it, lost control of her passwords, um, it, it upended her life. And that's not really an exaggeration. And in the process, she tried to transfer her password protections to other phones in an effort to reclaim this information and stop the hack. And those devices were all hacked too. Her husband's phone was hacked when she tried to transfer information there, and then her daughter's phone, and then a colleague's phone. So it had a huge impact on her life and took weeks to clean up, weeks of calling customer service lines, 1-800 numbers, and starting over with new representatives who were only dealing with a small facet of her problem and really didn't have the expertise in many cases to help her with it. Now you said she had gone to Boston, she'd used airport Wi-Fi there, she'd been in Milwaukee, used airport Wi-Fi there. Is there any sort of trail of evidence that proves that that's where the hack took place? We don't know definitively how this hack happened, but fraud experts and cybersecurity experts have weighed in and they pointed to that public Wi-Fi as 
a strong possibility. She had been traveling one to two days before this happened. She logged onto public Wi-Fi at major airports in Boston and in Milwaukee. And Gina has since learned that some of the most risky Wi-Fi networks are at places like airports, train stations, and cruise ships where the hacker can just cast a wide net around a, a huge number of people and pick and choose and steal information. Um, you know, your, your local coffee shop may have public Wi-Fi too, but there's not as many people there, so perhaps it's not as great a risk. Um, but she was she learned later that those are risky, and we, and we talked to cybersecurity experts and, and hacking experts in our story who, who, who confirmed that is a, a risk you take and there are measures you can take to protect yourself. There was a term in your story as you referred to the UWM, uh, I don't know if it was a professor or instructor, but this expert, um, th that he's an expert in ethical hacking. And, and that is an interesting phrase. What does that mean? And what did he have to say about this? So ethical hacking is where, let's say a business wants to know if they're vulnerable. They might hire someone to hack into them to find out what their vulnerabilities are so they can patch them up. So ethical hacking is hacking basically with permission, with the goal of making, um, those vulnerabilities go away. So he teaches uh, a class on ethical hacking and he, he gave us a lot of good advice when it comes to prevention. He said, you know, if you're going to use public Wi-Fi, don't use it to log into private accounts. Uh, if you can use Wi-Fi that you have to go to the desk and get a password for rather than being able to log in automatically. Avoid online banking on public Wi-Fi. Don't enter your credit card information. And he mentioned, you know, double check the network name because the hacker can create a fake network that's called an evil twin under a slightly different name. So instead of, you know, airport Wi-Fi, it'll be airport underscore Wi-Fi. And then he says, you know, <laughs> Visit only secure websites with HTTPS in the address bar. Disable the automatic Wi-Fi connection on your phone when you're traveling. And lastly, download a VPN to encrypt your information. So if the hacker is trying to look at it, it's, it's all scrambled. They don't know what they're seeing. So um, not all VPNs are created equal. We have some recommendations on fox6now.com, but you can get those at your app store. But the good ones you will have to pay for. Now, she had uh, just gotten this phone recently, I think. If I remember from watching the story, she had just signed up with Spectrum, right? Spectrum mm -hmm. Mobile. Um, she, what, what did they have to say? What was her experience with their customer service? So Spectrum, we had discussed commenting for this story, and they ended up not commenting because it wasn't really Spectrum's fault that she got hacked. Um, it was ported out to T-Mobile. Um, and basically porting means that the hacker had access to all this personal information once it had Gina's device. And it used that information to call up this different wireless carrier and transfer her service to another provider. So this hacker had all the information and all the answers that they needed to transfer her to another service. Um, and essentially, at that point, they had all the full control. And one issue Gina ran into when calling Spectrum and other places trying to resolve all of this is that they said, okay, well, we'll text you a six-digit code to confirm your identity before we speak with you. And she said, I don't have my device. You're texting the six-digit code to my hacker. You're just reinforcing the strength and control they have over this device. So it's our, our story focused more on the risks with Wi-Fi 
um, rather than pointing the finger at, at any one particular carrier. You know, you, you point out that thing about the, the, the six-digit code, and in her case, nothing she could do because the hacker had the device, so they were getting that code. I will tell you, and I experienced this, my daughter, uh, college student, you know, there's so much multi-factor authentication that you spend a lot of your day entering codes and pressing, sure, yes, that was me, yes, that was me. You almost build the habit of clicking, yes, that was me. And recently, one day, she got a message, you know, verifying that she was changing her email address. And she knew she wasn't, but out of habit, pressed accept and immediately went, no, that's not what I meant. At that moment, she had given away her Instagram account. It has since been used for months by a hijacker. She's really struggled. That's a whole separate story for her to try to get back that Instagram account. My point being, though, those that any request for those confirmation codes, be awfully careful because you can really make it hard on yourself. Yeah, I like that word you use. It reinforces their control over you. It really is hard to recover from that. And when you use one device and you rely so much on one device, a lot of us are guilty of this. Um, if you lose it, it really can impact a lot of your life and it's stressful. You're not only losing money, but you're losing time, your sense of security, and it can take a long time to fix this problem and a lot of stressful phone calls to multiple customer service lines. Um, so Gina says she'll never rely so much on one device personally or professionally again. She was actually recommended to get one tablet where she keeps all this sensitive information and lock it away. Don't travel with it. Don't take it anywhere that it might be compromised. And at the end of the day, the most safe internet is the one at your home. Um, so I would do most of your most sensitive work at, at your home network because that's the most secure. But I mean, this could really happen anywhere, not just at an airport, it could happen, it could happen anywhere. So it's good to protect yourself. It is time for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual, have a little fun, or have a little anxiety, like Jenna, who's not sure if she's going to be able to answer this question, uh, by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And back to answer that question for us, this, or ask us that question, rather, this week is Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hello. Um, let me just tell you that today is another banner day for Off the Record. We actually got an email. Uh, I feel like I need to reach into my mailbag. Like, Blue's Clue is mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Let me just tell you that Mo from Minneapolis, Minnesota, that's right, west of us, listens to the podcast every week. Literally says, I really enjoy. I start with, I really enjoy. Thank your you, open Mo. And, and, and just a reminder podcasts have no boundaries. Anyway. That's right. That's right. Download them wherever you get your fine, po fine podcasts. Anyway, listens to it every week. I enjoy even more the off the record segment. And Sarah Smith. No, it doesn't say that. Um, and I would really like to suggest a topic for that segment. So Mo asks, what is so Wisconsin to you? So what do you see? What do you hear? What do you, you know, you're walking around, whatever, and you're like, oh, that's so Wisconsin. I think one of the most Wisconsin things that, that I see is, um, especially in the fall, uh, it, on, on <laughs> you go to church on a Sunday and everybody's in their Packer jersey. And it's not even on you, like, you know, it's not like, oh, that's cool that you wore your Packers jersey. That's just, yeah, that's church attire. 
That's your church wear. Yeah, it's your it's a church wear. It's, I mean, that <laughs> like, is. Oh, this is my nice yeah, one. Yeah, this is uh, this this is my uh, this is my pack this is my Sunday Packer jersey, and then I got my weeknight Packer jersey. Um, so no, it's it's Packer jerseys in church. But I was telling you, uh, over the weekend, I took my daughter on a motorcycle ride to Holy Hill area, and it's just beautiful out there. And it was the sun was setting, and it was gorgeous. And we stopped at. Uh, uh, Freeze Lake Pub, build us Freeze Lake uh, Pub and Grill, and and I love the fries there. Uh, it's not a commercial for them, but I just love their sour cream and chai fries. And we were sitting there, and it was funny because there were like people sit. They've got the mugs hanging all over the walls, and I think regulars get to use the mugs or whatever. And it was just there was a conversation going on between people in in uh, ratty t-shirts. And who were just having a good old conversation about you know Brewers have lost two in a row and I don't know what's going on but that's uh, they've been they we've been crushed two days in a row and enjoying a, a cold one and I thought that moment right there is the most Wisconsin thing and I love it everything about it was Wisconsin. It's funny you mentioned apparel because I've I've been making fun of my husband for years because whenever we travel he wears Wisconsin apparel like he has to wear a Wisconsin hat or a shirt or something and I made fun of him but he's like it's like advertising where I'm from wherever I go because people will approach me and say oh I'm from Wisconsin but honestly other people do it too and he's always pointing out when we travel like see that guy did it too so like Wisconsinites when they travel they have to like advertise where they're from when they travel somewhere so uh, I noticed that. I, I used to you make know, fun of him. I'm, and a lot of people apparently do it. You guys know I'm from Missouri. And the thing is, I'll wear Cardinals or Blues things places. And occasionally people recognize it like, oh, hey, you know, go Cardinals. But you don't get the same thing as when you wear something that says Wisconsin and travel. The response you get while wearing Wisconsin gear. Anywhere you go, hey, Badgers, you know, Packers, whatever. It's just it's it's amazing to me how universal Wisconsinism is. Yeah, I like I, that. Just reminds me too. I have a, like two others that I thought of. But last year we went on a road trip out to like South Dakota and the Badlands and Mount, Rush, Mount Rushmore, and it was during a time where the Bucks were still in the playoffs. Um, you know, they were in their playoff run, and you know, every time we'd see, we saw so much Bucks gear, and it was so cool because every time you'd pass someone, you'd go Bucks and six, or go Bucks, and it was just such a. It's like everyone's just so proud of it, and so I, I mean, I love seeing it because I do it too, where I'm like. Go Badgers or go Packers. And, of course, it's like, go Badgers. Go, go Badgers. Badgers. Oh, no. <laughs> and even just saying it now, it sounded so, oh, no. Oh. Uh, which does remind me to or lead me to my next one where they ask a question and they end it with, or no. Like, that's very Wisconsin, I feel like. Are you going to go to the store or no? <laughs> you li- or are you going to? You, you know, like Culver's oh, cheese curds oh. or no? Mm-hmm. Or no. Like, it, like, you could just end it with, do you like? Culver's cheese skirts question mark but the or no kind of gives you the out like you don't have to like it or no <laughs> this makes me think of something and it may be just how much Wisconsinites just love all things Wisconsin because I think of Charlie Barron's who's obviously a very talented comedian and and he does the Wisconsin thing so well and you think after a while that's a one trick pony that's got to run out but somehow we just eat it up and he's coming to perform I think he might be coming to state fair this year I don't know I think he's coming and and all I can think yes. is yes we're a bunch of people who do those things who want to go watch a guy who shows us what we do do those things <laughs> it's not like he's going because to Dallas such, Texas no no, but there's such a commonality where everything he does. There was a video I was watching, and I'm not kidding. I didn't even have the sound up, and it, it, it like it set the scene with like some text, and it was like it's some degrees out or whatever. And I'm not kidding. I could read his lips. He walks outside and goes, "Hmm, it's not the heat, it's the humidity." <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's such a like a Wisconsin thing, right? I just feel like it's it's Charlie Barron's going, hey, I don't need uh, ornaments for the tree. I got fishing lures. And we're going, yeah, I got fishing lures on the tree. And, and we just think that's hilarious. That that to me is about as Wisconsin as it gets. What about shorts in winter? Isn't that like a thing where, you know. You know, there's a photographer, a photojournalist for another station who wears shorts all year long. Do you know who I'm talking about, Brian? I don't know I, here. I, I actually worked with one in Des Moines, Iowa, who was known for that, uh, who, who always wore shorts There's always a guy like winter. that. Yeah. No matter how yeah. cold. I mean, 20 Wait. below. He was in mm-hmm. blizzards wearing shorts, which I thought was crazy. That's nutty. Well, even, even our editor, Dave, he wears shorts a lot of the year. <laughs> now, maybe it's because it's like a hot box in that edit bay, but I mean, he is where he does wear shorts a lot. Lots of gams. Well, this, well, I, I, I got to say, like, Mo, Mo yes. this was a home run. Yes, super home run. Like, I could probably talk about this for probably another 20 minutes, but Dave already gets mad that I extend this podcast very much longer. So thank you for writing. Thank you for your kind words. And um, tell your friends to submit questions for Off the Record. So when I say this part right here, pay attention because Mo got his stuff right here on the podcast. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss on Open Record, an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, something you want in the Off the Record segment, send us an email to fox6investigators at Fox. Again, that is fox6investigators at fox.com. Jenna, thanks again for joining us this week. Oh, anytime. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, of course, Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back again next week.